I was gonna say that this is the last time that we're gonna talk about the soul and the system, but of course that's not quite right because we said at the beginning that when Jesus talks about the gospel, when the, when the gospel shows up in the New Testament, it is a word about the soul and the system and everything in between. So of course we're always talking about the soul and the system. This is a lot of what we do as a community. But this is the last word in this series that we call the soul and the system. And to wrap this up, it seems that we should talk about hope. We should talk about that thing that the soul craves, like oxygen keeping the soul breathing. We should talk about hope because it, it's the thing we are begging for when we look out on the world that we are inhabiting, knowing that this world is either gonna be for us or against us. It's either gonna be just or unjust. We're either gonna turn on the news and see things that war against us or see things that inspire us like we need to talk about hope because we, we tend to live in relationship to the future that we are counting on and whether we think it will arrive or not. Now, the tricky thing about hope is I, I think there is a, a problem when preachers talk about hope having nothing to do with the system, when the system's working for the preacher, right? Like, like there can be a way of talking about hope and preaching about hope, um, where people for whom the system's working pretty well, like get up on stages and look into cameras and tell people like, well, it's not about, you know, what's going on around you. It's not about what happens in this next election. Our hope is in these sort of disembodied ethereal things. That's like really easy to say when a bunch of the concrete embodied things about the world that we live in are working for preachers like me. So I want to be really careful about that. It's way too easy to say that hope has nothing to do with the system when the system is kind of working for you. What about when it's not working for you? What about the system that's not working for people right now? What about the system that's not working for those on the bottom end of the income distribution as income inequality grows? What about the system that's not working for black and brown bodies in a system that still has so much racism baked into it? Like, what does hope mean in that situation? So I wanna be really careful about that. But at the same time, there's the other danger, which is that we vest our hope in the system, uh, that we put our hope in the system when the system may or may not live up to that hope. And then our hope is held hostage by what happens in the next election or in our community. And I don't think a hope that could be held hostage by the system is any kind of hope at all. So what do we do with this tension between um, pretending to be immune to the system or on, on the other end, uh, allowing our hope to be held hostage by the system. Well, I, I wanna propose a distinction. And this is just the way that I have been thinking about this in the last few months. And the distinction that I wanna propose, and I wanna sort of make the case for it, is that there's a difference between the things that you are hoping for and the things that you are hoping in. Let me work this out for a little bit. We should hope for a better world than the one that we have right now. That makes sense. That's good. I, like, I hope that things get better than they are right now on all sorts of fronts. I hope our national politics gets better than it is right now. I hope our division heals a little bit in the way that it's broken right now. I hope that we have better leaders in government than the ones that we have right now. I hope that we have a more just system than the one that we have right now. I hope that we have a world where black and brown people don't have to wonder if their body will be at risk simply because they are black or brown. These are good things to hope for, to long for, to want, and to, to imagine when we look to the future. But I think hoping for is different than hoping 
in. Again, let me keep working this out with you. I think hoping in, like the place where you vest your hope, where you root your hope, where you ground your hope, like the reason that you have for hope, well, you, you wanna find a reason, you wanna find a grounding, you wanna vest your hope in something that's not gonna let you down. Like, aren't, aren't we on the hunt for a way of hoping or a grounding for our hope that isn't held hostage but what, by what, what happens in the month of November in American politics? Like, isn't, isn't your soul craving a way of hoping or a thing that its hope could be vested in uh, that isn't predicated on the decisions that people are gonna make in the next few weeks? Like, wouldn't that be a good thing? And I think uh, you can explain and understand the strength of Jesus's life, the, the impact of his ministry, the vitality that you see in him. If, if you ask yourself if perhaps he knows the difference between hoping in and hoping for. I mean, it's clear that the, that the Bible is saturated with hope for a world that is just and good. For a world that is a temple the way that it was meant to be. Where the kingdom of God is manifested in actual systems and structures, in bodies, in lives, in neighborhoods. It's clear that the scriptures are acquainted with that kind of hope, with like longing for that kind of world. And the scriptures seem to encourage our longing for that kind of world. But at the same time, right alongside all these things that we hope for, like, like Mary, the song that she sings when she finds out that Jesus will be born through her, she sings a song about the system being flipped upside down and being made just. So there's a hope for the world and the, the system and the way it works. But Jesus also speaks as a person who's not waiting on the system to vindicate his hope or empower the soul. There's a couple of places where I think again and again the scriptures say you, you, could, you could root your hope in this or that. In fact, I want to propose there's two things in particular that the New Testament vests our hope in, even while it stands in solidarity with all the things that we are hoping for. And the two things I think the scripture vests our hope in is one, uh, the character and the generosity of God, and two, who we are becoming. What we are becoming. Not what we believe, not what we do, but what we are becoming. The very character of, of who we are. These two things. I think that's where the scripture vests hope again and again. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, in Matthew 5. This is the beginning of Jesus' great teaching. You could say this is uh, the insight into Jesus' entire worldview. This is how Jesus sees things. This is the operating system that Jesus believes in. And he's inviting us to live on the same operating system. And in Matthew 5, he begins with those Beatitudes that you've heard before. And listen, listen how they work because at the beginning of the Beatitudes, the first few things that Jesus says are absurd unless you vest your hope in the generosity of God that can overcome our circumstance. Because for him, hope isn't vested in circumstance. Hope is vested in God who gives God's self to us no matter our circumstance. So he says things like, do you have a poverty within you or around you? Like where perhaps in the soul you would hope to find a strength and joy and grit and a capacity for enduring, but instead you look there and you find a poverty within you. He says, I call you blessed. In spite of that poverty, you are going to be uh, given access to the best kind of life because the kingdom of God is yours. Because God freely and joyfully gives God's kingdom to you. He says, are you mourning? Have you suffered some great loss? 
Have, have you lost something that has left the future looking dark because you had imagined a future that included that person or that dream or that aspect of your life and it's been ripped out of your life and now you look to your future where you would hope to see that thing and it's no longer there. He says, I call you blessed because there is a comfort that will come that will transcend the thing that you have lost. He says, are you meek? Are you the kind of person who doesn't have the power to take for yourself the things that you need? Well, he says somehow, in spite of the fact that it seems like we live in an each man gets for himself what he takes kind of world, he says, those of you who don't have the power to take for yourself, I call you blessed because you will receive. You will open your hands and you will inherit the earth. He says, are you hungering and thirsting for things to be made right in you or around you? He speaks of righteousness, which is a big word that means both personal, personal rightness where things got kind of fit back together in your own life, where you get your act together and where the world around you, where the system around you is put back together in a just way. He says, are you aching for that, like a, like a hunger in your belly? Are you parched with thirst for things to be right within you or around you? He says, I call you blessed, you will be filled. And he's either the most naive, foolish, uh, like stupid person that has ever spoken words that have made it on a page, or he knows something about the ultimate nature of reality. That when you get down underneath the system that we have built temporarily, down to the, the unending and the eternal, that you discover a divine generosity that has never been held hostage by the systems that we have built. Uh, I think Jesus, his hope is in the generosity of God. That, that at the bottom of everything, that undergirding everything is a God who is love and this God loves to give God's self to us in spite of our circumstance. So there's, there's hope in, in the generosity of God to overcome our circumstance. But then the next four Beatitudes, they, they sort of turn a corner here and they begin to speak of like who we will become. Uh, because he says like, I, I call you blessed if you are merciful. If you find yourself in a position of some kind of power that you could hit back when somebody has hit you, he says, I call you, you the merciful, the, the ones who are finding the capacity within yourself to take the violence out of circulation and not respond in kind. He says, I call you blessed because you too will be shown mercy. He says, uh, the pure in heart, we just mentioned this uh, in our last teaching, those who maintain the capacity to see God, he says, I call you blessed, that you find a way to, to uh, keep your soul from being so corrupted by cynicism that you are no longer able to see God in the world. He says, I call you blessed. He says, are you a peacemaker? Are you the one that forsakes your own group belonging so that you could stand between the groups that are warring against one another and call them to beloved belonging with one another? And he says, I call you blessed because you will be a child of God, which as, as if to say is like, yeah, you're, you're not gonna have much belonging in the world because true peacemakers, find that no group will claim them. And, and yet, he says, God will claim you as you become the kind of person who makes peace. And then what I actually think is the most hopeful thing that Jesus has ever said, this might be strange. He says, uh, those who are persecuted because of righteousness or for my name's sake, he says, I call you blessed. And the reason I find that hopeful is because again, I'm learning that the best kind of hope is hope that is vested in who God is and what we are becoming. And then from that grounding, we can hope for a better world and a, and a fixed system. But the best kind of hope is hope that is vested in who God is and what we are becoming. And he says at the end, I call you blessed if you are persecuted because of righteousness. As if to say, I call you blessed when your life has become such a force of peace 
and wholeness, that, that your life is so potent in putting things back together that the limited powers of evil that are invested in breaking the world have to turn and face you. He says, I call you blessed because yours is the kingdom of the heavens. Because again, you are a recipient and a channel of the life of God in the world. I mean, did, did you hear in that, that Jesus' hope is vested both in who God is and that generosity of God and in who we are becoming? And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I obviously don't know what will happen in the next few months in our country. I don't know in what ways things will get worse or in what ways things will get better. Um, I think it's good to hope for things to be better than they are right now in the system. I think um, we have to hope for things to be better than they are right now in the system. In fact, anybody who's not hoping for things to be better than they are right now might need to check the pulse inside. Because <laughs> I think the heart, the soul, the, those deepest places within, um, they know that it has to be better than this. And yet, I think if we vest our hope in circumstances that we cannot control, we are allowing our hope to be held hostage. And the kind of hope that can be held hostage is no hope at all. Uh, it's interesting. I, I just want to make my case a little bit further because there's another place in the Bible where hope is spoken of extensively. There's actually many places. The Bible talks a lot about hope. But one of the places where we hear about hope uh, is Romans chapter 5. And I want to uh, just share this little snippet from a letter that Paul writes to uh, a community that faces a pretty broken system. The church, uh, uh, in the early days of its history, uh, finds itself at odds with the system that it occupies. And depending on where that church is located or what's going on around it, there are fierce forces of persecution and violence that are threatening the very life of that church. And so when we read these letters from the New Testament, they are close to the question. They are, they are, they are familiar with the question of what it is to hope when the system is, is terribly broken. From one of those letters, we read this. Uh, this is uh, a, a translation or a paraphrase that can be really helpful sometimes called The Message, written by uh, an old pastor and theologian named Eugene Peterson. And he describes it like this. And listen again, um, if you're asking where your, where your hope can be rooted, like what your hope is in, listen again for how he talks about the nature of God who gives and the nature of what we are becoming. He says this, by entering through faith, or you could say through trust. By, by entering through trust, by opening your hand and trusting what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. You hear that he's talking about like this generous God who even when the circumstance is completely broken, this God who keeps giving God's self to us. And then he says there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we are hemmed in with troubles, even when our circumstances are completely broken down because we know, listen, here, here's the language about what we are becoming. We know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy, which is Peterson's way of talking about hope, in alert expectancy such as this, we are never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. 
There are a lot of things that we should hope for right now, friends, and work for and pray for and fight for in the world right now. The system is broken and we have some part to play in fixing it. But we've got to find a way to vest our hope, to root our hope in something that promises that our hope will not be held hostage by the circumstance. And uh, whether it's Jesus or any other great um, figure in history who we would sort of point to as towering over the pages of those books of history and having done something to move the system forward, uh, I think you will find a pattern that these are people who are certainly concerned with what we are building in the world and what must change, but they are somehow grounded and rooted in a kind of hope that is not held hostage by the circumstances that they are up against. And for Jesus, it seems very clear uh, that the hope that he is rooted in and the, and the hope that we could be rooted in uh, finds its strength from God who continues to give God's self to us regardless of the circumstance that we are in and in what we are becoming because it's precisely in circumstances like the ones that we are dealing with right now where the, the greatest resources of human nature can be brought to bear and God can bring them to the surface, that our patience can grow, that virtue can be forged like steel in us, that character can be developed in us, and that even on the days when the system is broken around us, we will know what we are becoming and that it is good. You might find as you become, uh, if, as you become the kind of person who can make peace in the world, as you become the kind of person who can push back against what is broken in the world, you might find that evil comes after you a little bit. But when that happens, you won't have to shrink back in fear or hang your head. You can walk even more proudly knowing that your life is being transformed, being conformed into the movement of peace that we call the kingdom of God. And I don't actually know anything more hopeful than that. So friends, uh, in the days ahead, I hope and pray and trust that you will know uh, that God cares about the soul and the system and that the gospel is a promise of possibility about the soul and the system and everything in between. I hope you will know who you are, that we can opt out of identities rooted in fear, that, that we can create the kind of universal belonging that tears down the walls between groups, that we can root our identity in belovedness and share that belovedness with others. I hope that you will think about your power, the influence that you have in the world, whether it's your voice or your dollars or your vote. I hope and trust that we will be asking ourselves how all of those things can be converted into love because if the world that we want is love, then love is how we will get there. I will hope you will know that the whole world is a temple and every space is sacred and that the places that feel desecrated, whether they're in your personal life or in the system at large, they are longing for redemption and God is hearing that cry. I hope you will see the church, the strange and beautiful thing that God is creating in our midst together as a place of reimagining the possibilities. And I hope that even as we hope for a better world and a fixed system, that we will root our hope, that we will ground our hope in the goodness of God and the possibility of what we become. And may grace and peace be with you.